I guess the question is what needs to be restrained. It's like, do you say no to everything, to whatever your eye wants to see, whatever your nose wants to smell? How would you know what to say no to? Depends on why I want to do that thing. Yeah? Depends on what my motivation is. So what would then be the motivation that you should restrain things out of? If I want pleasure. Well, you always want pleasure. That's your starting point. If I don't want pain. You always don't want pain. That's the implicit starting point as well. I want to be... So whatever you do, it's done for the sake of pleasure. But see, you then trying to say no to every desire, to everything, will also be done for the sake of pleasure. So you'll be denying everything for the same reason. So it won't take you out of it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so that's that's the, the the sutta, the simile of the of the deer herd, the bait. You know, first p- p- people, first group of deer, they were just eating carelessly, and they got hooked onto the bait. Then the second group was uh, saw that, but then uh, dismissed everything, all all the food, and ran into the mountains. Then they starved there, had to come back, ate carelessly. And then the the herd that the Buddha praised is the one that sort of realizes that, and then stays within the bait, but doesn't eat that which is a bait. So he eats carefully around the bait. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, like you know, the talk we had about devaluing sensuality, and again, if people are not well, I guess experienced or sufficiently experienced, they might fall into like, oh, I must now deny everything. I want to see this no. I want to hear this no. I want to taste this no. Well, why are you saying no to everything? Do you have context on that? No, you don't. So the, the sole purpose of restraint is to develop context in regard to your own motivation, in regard to your own desires. You have to understand that you saying you wanting to practice restraint is rooted in the same desires. That's what would have meant desire is to be abandoned by the means of desire, craving to be abandoned by the means of craving. But not simply desire can be abandoned through the desire, or craving can be abandoned through craving. Just by craving you'll abandon craving. No. You crave for craving, for freedom from craving initially, but if you start looking at the context of your motivation, the, uh, where things are rooted in, what type of intention is behind, what you want to do, or what you've done, or what you're planning to do, that's then how you basically make craving redundant. And then you, by, by avoiding doing things that perpetuate craving. Because <coughs> not all things perpetuate craving. Not all things perpetuate ignorance. Things that are rooted in lust, aversion, and distraction perpetuate craving, ignorance, and everything unwholesome. But see, lust, aversion, and distraction are not in things that you're doing there in your motivation that makes you do the thing for those reasons. So if you want to find lust, aversion, delusion, it's not simply by doing this and abstaining from that. It's basically by understanding whether you are doing it for the sake of lust, aversion, or distraction. So none of those, none of the lust, aversion, distraction can be in things, not even in central objects. And that's what Buddha said. For the target, the lust, uh, desire and lust have been removed from his mind 
So the beautiful objects just remain standing there in the world, beautiful, nothing else. But for that, you need to first restrain your habitual action towards beautiful, habitual action away from the ugly, habitual action distract yourself from neutral boredom or whatever else. But not for its own sake. It's only for the sake to see how lust, aversion, delusion are actually on the level of your intentions, your choices, not in those things. And that's also like, we, we covered that in other talks, but that's also how uh, virtue and duty is a factor. It's because it's on the level of you assuming lust, aversion, delusion to be in these things that you're now abstaining from. And by abstaining from it, you think that's it, that's all you need to do. Because <coughs> if you think that your mission is accomplished by abstaining from bad things, you will not look for where the badness of bad things is really rooted, which is in your motivation for keeping the precepts or for breaking them. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the sensory strain, yeah, you take on the precepts, five precepts, but ideally you want to take eight precepts. And then within that, you see what mind presents you with, things to do throughout. You have to do things. Like if you say, I will not do anything throughout the day, because everything is rooted in desire, that will be rooted in desire. That's your desire. If you say, I should stop thinking, I will not think about anything, that is your thought. So you can't just decide and step outside of the problem. You are the problem. Your existence is the problem. So you take on the precepts, you take on sense restraint at, on, on a level of faith first, and now you go throughout your day having to do things. And you can't stop doing, and you shouldn't stop doing. <coughs> you just want to know where the motivation for you doing those things is rooted. And uh, if you wonder, okay, so how far I go with this? Well, you go within the precepts. So if, if things that are presented to you to be done throughout the day would be breaking the precepts, you just say no to that. You don't need to think too much about that side of things. No, this is against the precepts that I've taken on. But if it's within the precepts, doesn't mean, oh, I, I can do it justifiably because it's not breaking the precepts. Nor is it, I must deny everything because everything is rooted in desire. No, you look at the time. The same thing today can be rooted in one thing, one motivation, tomorrow it can be rooted in another motivation. But if only you see is the thing that you say either always yes to or no to, you're never going to see a motivation. And that's where the whole problem is, always has been. The lust, the version, the illusion can never step outside of the domain of your intention and enter these things in the world. No, not at all, not the slightest. Always remains within your intention. So if you can recognize lust, for example, you can recognize... Well, first you need to recognize your intention, your motivation. Then you see if it's lustful, mm. if it's uh, aversive, or if it's sort of wanting to distract itself. And then in the background, so to speak, you're always watching out for that. Exactly. Well, the, the, more, the, more ma the, the more effort you make towards discerning it, well, the clearer the discernment will become, which means then... You don't need to say, oh, I must stop and figure this out. It's already just, basically, the flags will be there already because you developed them. Yeah. So even if you're not, not directly thinking about your motivation, you already know, oh, this is a lustful mind. And that's the Satipatthana. He knows lustful mind is lustful mind. So not yeah. lustful thing in front of him. No, the mind, the, the intent. That's what basically chitta, chetana, relationship. Intention and intent in its general sense, it's what mind is. And already the direction of some kind. And it's always... It there is some intention. Always. Oh, there is always a mind there, which means there is always an intent there. So being able Which means to it's always, the intent always has to be either lust or non-lust, aversion or non-aversion, yeah. distraction or non-distraction. But if all you see is things you do, things you don't do, 
and then just meditation technique on top of it or whatever else, you're never looking at where the problem actually is and you're never going to see it. Because you assume it to be in things you're saying no to. And that's why, well, oh, so the problem is in the desire. Desire towards this or towards that. So I say no to that. But now I have a desire to say no to everything. So I say no to that. Well, now I have the, so I say no to that. So you just start saying no to more and more things and wind yourself up completely and equally have no perspective in as much as if you were engaging with sensuality. <coughs> That's like the ignoble way of that self-mortification and denial of everything. Now, you have the precepts <coughs> within that. You question things. You Like, I want to go for a walk, as we, we say often, as a, kind of a neutral example. Why? Oh, because I'm restless a bit here now? Okay. Yeah, that's not the perfect motivation. But is it central motivation? Is it because I'm hoping to see sight, sound, smell, taste, touchings? They will excite me. No, not specifically. Just because it's too hot under this roof and I want some breeze. Okay, that's not. That's all right. I'm not sure how ideal it is or not. But I know that it's not as bad as, as like sensuality as breaking the precepts. So you do it. You go for a walk because you want some breeze. You want some comfort. But then next time, I want to go for a walk. Still, same comfort. Okay, but now again, you reevaluate. You don't now just do it because you've done it before. Oh, so is it still rooted in comfort? Yes. Still not rooted in sensuality of the, you know, exciting kind? Yes. But can I perhaps endure the discomfort and not go for a walk? Just if you have strength to ask yourself, to provide that direction or maybe saying no to that but you don't always say no to it or always say yes to it because once you decided to mm-hmm. to do so so you always want to see where your motivation is rooted like why do I want the, the breeze and the comfort oh because actually I'm sleepy and I'll fall asleep but if I go for a walk I'll be awake and then I can spend more time practicing mindfulness and walking meditation or reading the suttas oh well that's a good reason now same like with the Buddha oh what if jhana that I attained in the past is the way? Hmm, I think it is the way. But I can't now develop it because I'm too hungry. I'm starving. I'm in too much pain. So let me eat this, this rice, whatever the lady offered him. Get some strength so that I can do it. Ah, that's a, that's a valuable motivation. That's a, that's a reason. That's a good motivation. Oh, no, I just want to go for a walk because I'm bored. That's not it. Why are you bored? Why do you have motivation to get rid of the boredom? So that's what I mean, like, I don't want when we talk about the sense restraint people to jump into the conclusion that you must say no to everything, because that's equally ignoble. But it doesn't mean, oh, by not saying no to everything means I can break the precept sometimes. No, that's even worse. <laughs> Sensuality is worse than asceticism, but asceticism will not take you out of the, uh, the will not uproot your craving and desire in itself either. That's one of the first response is giving carelessly, second response is say no to everything, then you go back to stuff you was, should have given up. And then only the, the, the response in regard to that, in that simile of the herd, so that is the, the deer herd, is like, oh wait, so if I stay within this, but I don't cross certain boundaries, and within that boundary, I discern the motivation. And then, yeah, you will know exactly when things are wholesome, when things mm-hmm. are unwholesome, even before they come anywhere near the border of breaking the precepts. So you're always maintaining a perspective, which so this perspective yeah, you maintain the perspective on your own intent, yeah. which is already what you... Every situation is already a type of intent. Mm-hmm. 
I intend to sit here and continue talking to you. Yeah, where is that? Okay, so let me ask myself crazy. now: Where is that intent of mine to continue rooted? What is the end game of this, so to speak? Oh, it's recording the Dhamma talk. Okay, that's fine. But that's the thing that you need to know how to have that perspective to be able to see your mind, your intention. And you will get to know it uh, while you're yeah. doing things. You things will get to know that perspective by first practicing keeping the precepts and practicing sense restraint. Yeah, by creating a boundary within which you can then discern. You can allow your mind to move left or right within the boundary, not over the boundary. And then you can see, ah, when it moves to left, it's rooted in this. When it moves to right, it's rooted in that. To say, keeping physically precepts that will help you discern your mental well no knowing what you need to discern will help you discern on the basis of precepts automatically keeping the precepts will not make you discern it will just make you keep the precepts for whatever but assumed value you have but it's a good feel to well it's a necessary basis yeah. it's not optional you cannot understand without having kept the precepts beforehand as the Buddha would say but in itself, understanding will not arise from it. So knowing that you are not supposed to stop thinking and, and watch the nostrils and just be mindless and adhere to this. Knowing that you are supposed to think about what is the intent behind me doing what I'm doing right now. Knowing that you're not supposed to stop doing everything. Say no to everything. Get rid of everything. But instead understand where things that are root, the things that, uh, the things that are being done or things you intend to do, where are those things rooted in? What is the background of this of this intention I want to do? So, so there's a lustful I- intention. You know, you 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 see that uh, there's a lustful intention. Well, it's not going to be like oh, there's a lustful intention floating in my mind. It's going to start with something specific. I heard people talking there. I want to go and see. Mm-hmm. Why? What is the intent behind your action to go and see who's talking there? can be million things. It can be, oh, I don't know, other thieves or hunters came to hunt animals here, so I, I want to chase them off. Or it can be, oh, maybe it's just some people that will be entertaining to talk to. Ah, so if it's that, where is that intention rooted? Well, it's rooted in me wanting basically excitement, wanting to be distracted from this neutral feeling, pretty much. I'm neither in pain nor in pleasure, but the offer of excitement of meeting other people or something, oh, that's, that's exhilarating to me. So that's clearly unwholesome, so then you say no to that. You endure that. But if it's on another occasion, oh, so I will never go and talk to people now. Yeah. No, it depends on the motivation it's rooted in. So, so whatever you're about to do, you must question. Whatever you're about to do, whatever you are in the middle of doing, mm-hmm. if you lose context of why it's done, you remind yourself. Because you, it's not a mystery. The only reason you're still doing these things or intending to do those things is because your intent is there as a necessary basis. Simultaneously enduring with it. Just want to become familiar, without having w- familiar with your intentions, without having going through the whole thinking process over and over again. So, why am I moving my hand? Exactly, exactly. Well, is it you want to see the intent, not go through the motions of basically thoughts that you've done in the past, where you kind of yeah. got the sense of the intent. Mm-hmm. But let's say like now, I want to get up. So, or I want. So I don't. I must not get up. No, you might get up. You might not get. Up. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You, if you want to get up, you get up. If you don't want to get up, you don't get up. But you want to know, like, yeah, but where, what's my intent? Why do I want to get up? That does not see. When you say the question, why do I, why, why do I want to get up? People can sometimes immediately jump into the conclusion, ah, getting up is bad. I must not get up. No, you just want to know. You will get up. 
You just want to know why you want to get up. So even if it's, I want to get up because of the desire for more comfort, fine. There is nothing sensual. Uh, there is no ill will. There is no sexuality. We're just getting up. It's still a desire in as much as when you want to deny everything. Yeah. So everything is a desire. So, yeah. so if you want to get up, you get up. But I've got to think about it before. You don't even need to think uh, about it yeah. before necessarily. So you yeah. might have to do it in the beginning. You might have to think about it in the beginning. But once you get to know that, okay, it's not against the precepts to get up. Okay, so why do I get up? Comfort. I'm getting up for comfort. Okay. So the next time, why do I get comfort? So next time, because of comfort. And then you're going to have a question inevitably asked, like naturally. Oh, so do I need to go throughout my day just doing things out of comfort? So next time, the context has now been upgraded. So you want to get up out of comfort. Can I endure discomfort? Now you will know, why would I endure discomfort? Not like, I will not get up, I will endure the pain. Yeah, but now you have to ask a question in regard to that. Because that's now the thing you're doing. Why do I want to uh, endure discomfort? That's what would have meant, like, when, when monks would, some monks were asking him to make these uncomfortable practices mandatory, because they're good. And he said, no, let those who want to do those things do them, and those who don't want to not do them. Because it depends where it's rooted at. For somebody, due, enduring discomfort can be utterly, completely unwholesome. And always rooted in unwholesome. But they will only know that if they get to discern their intent. So now you don't want to get up because you want to challenge yourself with a bit of discomfort. Fine. Why? Do you see the relationship between the challenge of discomfort and gaining perspective? Or are you just doing it out of a reaction to your comfort? Either way, you can do either way. Because it's not against the precepts. Getting up mm. from comfort or discomfort. But you want to know what is your intent behind. Yeah. So, so just, what is the process of learning how to discern your intention? Well, that's, well, that's yeah. what I'm describing now. Okay. Yeah. So, before I act, I must question my intentions. Before I act. Yeah. But, yeah so, if I, before I do anything... I have to think, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Because this, because that, because that. And then decide... Well, okay, you might I have to it. think that initially, if you're unaware of your intent. Yeah. But if you start doing it rightly, you won't even need to verbally ask your questions. You will already see the intent that's implicit, like impossibility of this action. Yeah. So it be, you, you've discerned lust for intention. So when it comes again, when, it hap when you're doing that, uh, an action that's going to be based on lust for intention... You yeah, you see the framework of lust, yeah, immediately seen. Oh, this is lust. You don't have to go through that whole process. No, no. Is it lust? No. But is it, no. is it yeah. Why am I saying it's lust? Yeah. Well, see, that's is the thing. When people, people will inevitably fall into that mechanical repetition of doing the same questions, but then they fail to see that that's now, there is an intent in regard to that, and they're not seeing it. So first time you ask yourself, why do I want to get up? Why do I want to... Because of this... Because, and then you arrive at the conclusion it's because of the lust. Then next time, you immediately... But now you don't actually direct your mind towards intent and then use the questions to reveal the intent. You now direct your mind towards the questioning you've done before, hoping you will arrive at the same knowledge of the same intent. And now you're doing it mechanically. But now all you need to do is at any, any given time just... Oh, but what is my intent behind this questioning? So why am I questioning now my motivation in regard to wanting to get up? Do I really don't know? 
whether it's done for comfort or discomfort, or am I doing it out of this compulsion to go through these motions that revealed it the first time, and now I feel obliged, dutiful to repeat? Oh, so I already know my intent. So I don't need to ask these questions at all now. Next time, I'm not sure, and then questions will naturally arise. But sometimes intent is much clearer. But if you just adhere now that you always must do this questioning, you're actually obscuring your intent by the questioning. Either way, you will get confused. The point is, you don't step over the boundary of breaking the precepts. So when the confusion dispelled, you're still held within the same container. You, when you restart, you restart already with more experience and more recognition and more discernment. But if your confusion takes you outside of the precepts, now you need to rebuild it. So that's why they're not optional. And yeah, you can do the same practice within the five precepts, but it's going to be much more watered down. Like if you want to practice the Dhamma on the level that it matches, that can basically make you gain the right view, you need to do the eight precepts. But within that, again, it's not like no to everything. Not at all. And that's exactly what the Buddha Daniel. What if I were to say no to all the thoughts that are rooted in unwholesome? And what would, what would what what if I were to say yes to all the thoughts that are rooted in wholesome? Absence of greed, aversion, delusion. Ah. And then the, the tireless energy arose in him, day and night, because he was just avoiding unwholesome, thinking wholesome. Now obviously that was the Buddha, so he could do that on the level of thoughts means he didn't even have to worry about a speech and action because that's already within that but today's mind when you start you have to start first from your actions then come to your speech and then eventually if you cultivate that long enough um, accurately enough you will be able to say I have these thoughts appeared in my mind I nothing to do with it. I didn't intend them but sensual thoughts non-sensual thoughts you will know right away sensual thoughts I don't delight I don't welcome I don't value Non-sensual thoughts, fine, they can stay. Because the mind has to think. If you say, I will not think this, well, you're thinking that. So if you think that by avoiding to think, you're somehow stepping outside of the domain of thought, well, you're basically self-deluding yourself. So within the precepts, it's not about saying no to everything, saying yes to everything, or saying no to things you said no to, saying yes to things you said yes to automatically. It's about discerning the intent behind your current situation. Oh, now I need to go and do such and such. What's my intent behind that? Oh, it's some practical purpose. It needs to be finished. Okay, that's fine. You don't even need to... Yeah, but what if, what if, what if? Now, if you get into that compulsive, what if this is wholesome, is this unwholesome? What's the intent behind that compulsion? Oh, the intent is to get rid of the pain of compulsion. So the intent is aversion. So the intent is unwholesome. So I'm wholesomely questioning my intent for the unwholesome purpose of getting rid of the aversion which is not wholesome. And you will fall into that confusion or you will not learn how to step out of that confusion if you just keep giving into it. And if you if you basically go start doing the questioning of your intent mechanically because you depend oh it's easier to just mindlessly do this 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 the result will come. No, what is the intent behind me wanting that result? And that's one, once you actually start doing it rightly this whole space opens up millions of things you can do for right reasons and becomes much less constricted than in the beginning when it's just I must say no to everything I must say no to everything is a desire everything is a desire but yeah you kind of have to start like that to some extent 
it simplifies the work. It does. It does. In the beginning, as, and, and also, as I said, like that, the, the, the simile of the deer herd, once you realize, ah, it's only things that are rooting, it's only this is the bait. Everything else, I don't have to worry about. Oh, this is not a central pleasure. I don't need to fear it, as the Buddha would say. But only once you accept it, okay, I need to know the intent behind acting out of my feeling, a- acting towards pleasure, acting out of pain. Because that's where last aversion delusion is rooted. It's not in the feeling, it's not in the object of your senses, it's rooted in you uh, being unaware of your intent. Ignorance of the intent is what the problem already is. So once you become um, discerning of the intent, you simply avoid the one that's rooted in last aversion delusion, and that's how last aversion delusion will wither away. Because they need maintenance. Maintenance through ignorance of what those things are. That you don't even know that you're maintaining it. But now that you know that this is what things rooted in last intent of lust are, this is what intent of lust is, you don't do that intent of lust. You don't act out of it. When intent of lust changes, it's intent of non-lust, you can do that. It might be the same thing externally. Going for a walk. Meeting people to talk to. And then the lust and aversion, delusion, distraction will have to um, diminish. Away, yeah, yeah. Wear, wear, wear off, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this is just like for the purpose of, of people who take on precepts sense restraint don't do sense restraint mechanically either because as I said the same if it's within the precepts the same thing sometimes you need to restrain it sometimes you don't need to depending on the intent not depending on the thing that you're restraining to oh I will never look at anything agreeable yeah but why is that why do you have that intent now so do you blame the agreeable for your suffering Oh, yes, I do. Well, that's a mistake, isn't it? Because suffering is not in the agreeable, nor disagreeable. Suffering is in you either resisting it or lastfully going towards it. So suffering is in your intent. So knowing the intent on account of agreeable or disagreeable within the precepts, yeah, that's how your mind will have to develop right now. And if you get confused about what's my intent, what's my intent, just step back and see what's your intent in regard to that and that would be your intent the current situation intent so that's why there is no method or motions or sets of questions you always ask no sometimes you need to drill further longer because the intent is more obscure but more often than not the intent is right there because the intent is the basis for the context for anything you're about to do you're doing see like my intent to go and talk to those people over there I don't need to now think about getting off the chair, opening the gate, walking left, right, left, right. All of that is unified and I'm doing it mindlessly because it's kept together by the intent to meet those people down there. If suddenly my intent, I don't want to meet those people. I want to go on top of the hill. I will stop going in that direction and stop doing actions that will lead me to that intent. So the intent is always there. So if you catch yourself in doubt, you realize, oh, actually, that's why doubt is a hindrance. Because doubt covers up 
what you already know. You already know the intent, but now the doubt is, is this compulsion that presses you to go through these motions and try to seemingly clarify intent, while the real purpose is just get rid of the pain of the doubt. All you need to do in order to get rid of the pain of the doubt is stop trying to get rid of the pain of the doubt. Stop acting out of aversion. That's it. The, the doubt will have to subside. And you know that. You know the difference. Like, oh, I'm, like, I'm questioning my intent like this. I'm arriving at a conclusion. But then it's sort of you overdo that and now it becomes emotional like I have this compulsion to keep questioning to keep repeating the question and keep finding the same answer well now you're just acting out of compulsion you're not looking for the intent you're just trying to get rid of the discomfort which means you're completely unaware of that intent so that's how oh, I don't need to fear this type of pleasure or I don't need to keep you know having ill will towards this type of discomfort. You can actually you become relaxed within the precepts, within sense restraint, because now you know the motivation, always. The intent is there visible clearly. And it's like knowing the mind. Knowing knowing um, a lustful mind is lustful mind, non-lustful is non-lustful, elated is elated, depressed is depressed. No, it's there as a container, as a context. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant and above hindrances and not acting out of exactly not just not just oh, that is lustful but as long as I know my lustful intentions I can still act, act out, out of no, it no no that's the thing if you know the lust is lust you don't act that's the effort you put in yeah. you don't act out of lustful to mind. develop a perspective recognize the same the clearer the perspective is the easier it will be to not act out of it People act out of habitually, addictively, because there is no perspective on their situation. Once the perspective is yeah. increased through your own effort of reflection, oh, now sense restraint is self-evident. I will not. So that so you restrain only the things that are rooted in lust, aversion, delusion, on the level of intent. You yeah. don't restrain every sight, every sound, every smell, because that's like starvation. That is literally you run to the top of a mountain and there is no food, and you die. So in order to know then what you need to restrain only, you then need to know the intent. Because that's where these things are rooted and need to be restrained. But yeah, initially you might need to be restraining more than usual to be on a safer side. That's where the Buddha would always lean onto the side of asceticism, even if in itself does not necessarily result in wisdom. Oh, between the two monks, one will eat, one won't eat. One will eat so he can practice, one say he won't eat so he can practice. I praise the one who won't eat in order to practice just in case lean a bit on the but not to become neurotic and say no to everything because that means oh you, you lose context on that you, you don't you're not aware of your own intent there 